Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Unpacking Articles within Unpacking Language Pedagogy. Today we're going to be unpacking an article by Patsy Leibam called SLA Research in the Classroom, SLA Research for the Classroom. In this article, the author is summarizing 10 observations about second language acquisition based on research. She first wrote them in 1985, revised them in 2000, and revised them again in 2003. And yes, it's been a while, but these observations still hold true even today. The first observation is that adults and adolescents can acquire a second language. What she's trying to say is that it's not just children who can learn implicitly, but also adults. Now, she's not saying that acquiring your first language is exactly the same as acquiring an additional language. She is actually a proponent of focus on form, which means that sometimes learners do need a little nudging to notice certain things in the input. And that little nudging is a little bit explicit. The second observation is that learners create a systematic interlanguage. The point here is that it's not random, and it is indeed a system that learners are building as they acquire the language. And this reminds me of what Bill Van Patten says, that there's no such thing as errors, because the word error has a very negative connotation. So instead of calling them errors, let's call them forms that learners produce as they build this linguistic system. On a related note, the third observation is that there are predictable sequences in second language acquisition. At least for some languages and for some forms, that's what research has shown. Why is this important to point out? You might think it's because that's what we should do in terms of what we teach when, but that's not the case. Lightbound says, and I quote, the value of developmental sequences research is in helping teachers adapt their expectations of how progress can be seen in something other than an increase in accuracy. I love that quote. She is reminding us that sometimes in these sequences, the next step sounds less accurate than the step before, but learners are still making progress. And even though instruction might have a limited effect in changing the order of the sequences, that doesn't mean instruction has no effect at all. She says, and I quote, while there is wide agreement that learners come to know things that were never the subject of explicit teaching, there's also evidence that instruction can enhance language acquisition. And what she's trying to tell us here is what I alluded to earlier. Perhaps additional language acquisition is not all implicit. Perhaps some focus on form might indeed be helpful. And yes, that is debatable. And there are different camps in SLA that argue one way or the other in terms of the roles of explicit and implicit knowledge and we'll unpack that in another episode. Ready for the fourth observation? This is where it gets good. Number four is probably my favorite, and that is practice does not make perfect. Of course, here it all depends on how you define practice, right? The word practice is one of those that some people like and some people don't because we're all picturing different things. 
what the author is talking about here is practice in the sense of repetitive drills and memorization. That doesn't help a whole lot, at least not nearly as much as people think. But as the author says, and I quote, when practice is defined as experience in using language for meaningful interaction, then practice is likely to be more predictive of long-term success. And I really like that last part, long-term success. That sounds much better than saying perfect. All right, number five, knowing a rule doesn't mean you can use it. I think we can all agree with that one. And perhaps you can probably relate to it ourselves. We know a lot of rules and sometimes we don't follow them and we can still get our message across. By the same token, we say a lot of things that are entirely accurate, and yet we may not be able to verbalize all the rules we just applied. So the connection between explicit knowledge of rules and using them is a bit unclear. And once again, that's what gets debated a lot in SLA. My take on that is, why are we spending so much time in class discussing rules if we all agree that knowing the rule doesn't mean students will apply them. Something to think about. Okay, number six. Isolated error correction is usually ineffective. Clearly, there's some room for interpretation here. How do you define usually? How do you define isolated? How do you define ineffective? Corrective feedback definitely deserves more episodes and a lot more unpacking. For now, what I'll say is what I always say when it comes to feedback. Curb your expectations. As the author says, learner spontaneous language use does not suddenly change when they are told that they have made an error. So going back to the question I asked before, why are we spending so much time correcting errors if we know that perhaps the effect is going to be fairly limited? Something else to think about. Okay, let's keep going. Observations number seven, eight, and nine to me are all about expectations and goals. Number seven is that most adult learners do not achieve native-like mastery. Nothing new here, right? But to me, the food for thought here is why are we so obsessed with being native-like? Are we maybe pushing our learners to be native-like too soon or too fast? And what is native-like? anyway. Number eight is an observation that nobody would disagree with, and that is one hour a day is not enough. When it comes to language instruction, that is in a classroom, in an educational setting, there are several different constraints and probably contact time or how much time we have with the students is the biggest. And so what are our expectations? How much can we achieve considering our constraints? And number nine is another friendly reminder that affects our expectations. And it is that the task of acquiring a language is incredibly complex because language is incredibly complex. Many times when we teach a language, we simplify that complex system and that complex task by giving some rules, giving some vocab lists, and in a way, we are reducing language acquisition to just learning various elements of a language. But of course, language acquisition is much more than that. And it is actually a lifelong endeavor. 
And so once again, we need to keep asking ourselves, what are our expectations? And the very last one, number 10, says that learners understand contextualized language much more than decontextualized language, and learners can comprehend a lot more than what they can produce. This observation is something that we may have experienced ourselves as language learners. Let's look at the first half of that statement, the part about contextualized versus decontextualized. I think it has some interesting implications for the classroom. If students are relying entirely on context to extract meaning, they might not be noticing some of those pesky little forms in the language. And so it's important to keep in mind how we process language. If learners don't notice things in the input, they're not processing them. And that means we're not making form meaning connections, which is what we want if our goal is acquisition. And we'll come back to the issue of noticing versus processing in another episode. Now let's look at the second part. We can understand a lot more than we can produce. Makes sense, right? And once again, this goes back to having realistic expectations about what the learners can do depending on the task. Even if your learners are getting a steady diet of connected discourse in the input, it's not realistic to expect connected discourse in their output. We have to be a little bit more patient when it comes to output. So when we talk about proficiency level targets, in our classes, we might need to establish different goals for the three modes of communication and for different modalities, written versus oral. We're not targeting one proficiency level, but actually different proficiency levels. The article concludes with a discussion on the relationship between research and teaching, which, as you can probably imagine if you're listening to this podcast, I find extremely fascinating. And there's a quote that I think is a great way of wrapping things up. And it says, It is only when teachers have tried out some of the pedagogical applications suggested by SLA research that they will understand what it really means for their own teaching context. And I really like that quote because of that word context. To increase the dialogue between researchers and teachers, we need to understand each other's context. So the takeaway message for me is we need to dialogue instead of dismissing each other so quickly. Researchers should not be dismissing teachers, especially when it comes to the applicability of principles to their classrooms. And at the same time, teachers should not be dismissing research as something that is not applicable to them. That's just my take on it. As usual, I encourage you to read the original and draw your own conclusions. Thank you for tuning in and until next time.